First of all, let me say how uh, filled with joy I am to be back with you all uh, a week later than intended, but due to nothing worse than a little wasted time in the airport, and unintentionally missed my least favorite Sunday in the church calendar, which is Christ the King, <laughs> last year, but back in uh, this last Sunday, but back in time for the beginning of Advent, which is this Sunday, of course, the new year of the church. I love Advent in the Episcopal Church. You might walk in with carols still ringing in your ears from the 24-hour Christmas radio station, maybe expecting a nice story about the angel Gabriel coming in to visit. And what you get is the sun darkening, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling out of the skies. Forget the jovial man in the red suit coming down your chimney. Jesus warns us to keep awake because the presence that will visit you isn't benign. Don't fall asleep. I like this about us. No eight-pound, five-ounce sweet baby Jesus right now. We get the apocalyptic, wild-eyed preacher Jesus. A dash of bitters in the midst of societies saccharine sentiments, the proclamation that Jesus is coming, repent, the kingdom is coming near. When I was 16 years old and the new kid in a new school in a new town, I was invited to a youth group. It was an Assemblies of God youth group. I'd never heard of it before, but it sounded fun. I went there for a while and I told my friend Misty later, it was just like church camp. People were excited about God. The music was like a rock concert every week. I wasn't so sure about this hand-raising thing, given all the clear biblical injunctions about not making a show of your piety. And they certainly believed some weird things about the diabolical nature of the Beatles and Harry Potter. But I was 16, the new kid in a new school, I needed friends. I was looking for meaning, for something more than the drudgery of high school. There were these whispers that I kept hearing around the congregation, ominous ones, whispers about the end of the world, the second coming of Christ. They'd throw this phrase around kind of blithely that unless Jesus comes, well, unless Jesus comes, I'll see you at culverts for frozen yogurt next week. Well, I'll see you at church next time and, you know, unless Jesus comes. And they said it with this straight face, blithely. But this was news to me. <laughs> the rapture, they called it. Maybe you've heard of it. The way they told it, Jesus was coming back really soon. Nobody could predict when but the, the pastor confided a word of God to me, given my spiritual enthusiasm. 2014, he said. So I guess none of us made it. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but you feed this sort of thing to an earnest and highly anxious teenager, and it causes great distress. Like, what if Jesus came back when I was watching television? Would he understand that I needed a break from spreading the gospel sometimes? I was pretty sure no explanation would be good enough 
to keep me from hell. And I started having vivid nightmares about going there, that my act could never get cleaned up enough for his return. I heard the rapture explained another way from uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian. He says, the rapture is this. One day you'll look outside and you'll see all these folks rising up into the air, disappearing out of sight into the clouds, and you'll say to yourself, well, I'll be damned. (laughs) The cat's away. (laughs) The gospel today is one of those texts that has fueled these predictions of the end of the world for as long as it's been written. It's called The Little Apocalypse of Mark. And it's a dog-eared page for anyone who wants to divine the future. Unfortunately, this is not how apocalyptic texts work. We hear them through our ears, these ears that are accustomed to the rapture-obsessed doomsdayers. But but Mark isn't actually talking about someday off in the future. Mark, remember, is writing decades after Christ. He's writing it and he's looking back. What Jesus predicts here, Mark has seen come true. Right after this story, we're in the 13th chapter, right after this story, Jesus will go to the cross. And when he dies, what happens? The sun, the lights of the sky all go dark, right in the middle of the day. The heavens will be shaken, Mark And others will write about the great earthquake that happens after Jesus' death. The powers in the heavens will be shaken to the point that the veil is ripped in two. The apocalypse here isn't the end of the world. The term apocalypse in the Greek means revealing. The movements of the mysterious, silent God will be uncovered. We do not find what we expect. The sun darkens, the earth shakes, not because the world is ending, but because we see God for who God is and who God chooses to show God's self as crucified at human hands. Ultimate power emptying itself utterly. In light of these stories that we tell about how we come to know God, Where do you look for God? Because these stories, they defy the idea that God comes angrily or only when we're good enough or in a way that mimics our human ideas of power and control. When God has chosen to show God's self, we've seen a baby. That's what we're waiting for. We wait, too, for God on a cross. Bernard of Clairvaux was an abbot and uh, monastic reformer of the 12th century. And he preached this great sermon in Advent, the season where we look and wait for the coming of God. He says the coming of the Lord is threefold. Probably a surprise to his congregation, uh, and maybe y'all too, that we think of it in two, two ways. But he says there's three. In the first coming, God appears as the most 
vulnerable among us. If we continue to look there, we continue to see God. The final coming, he says, will be when all flesh sees the salvation of God, the redemption of the world in our Lord Jesus Christ, that when you see forgiveness, justice, mercy, you are seeing that redemption draw near. When you do these things, you are a part of it. But Bernard says that there's this middle coming, and he says it's a hidden one. Here's what he says. The intermediate coming is hidden, in which only his chosen recognize his presence within themselves, and their souls are saved. It is like a road on which we travel from his first coming to his last. In the first, Christ was our redemption. In the last, he will appear as our life. In his intermediate coming, he is our comfort and our rest. In this middle way, God comes to us as comfort and rest. Such humble terms. So elusive, may I say, as someone re-entering the world of American values of rigid expectation and control, insomnia, screens. Bernard says that this way is as humble as eating bread. Let it enter into your very being. Let it take possession of your desires and your whole way of life. Feed on goodness, and your soul will delight in its riches. Remember to eat your bread, or your heart will wither away. Fill your soul with richness and strength. We're going to prepare a table today that this life that he's describing of richness and strength might actually enter into us in this hidden way. There's enough at the table here for you too.